Hallelujah. You guys are blessed? Amen. Father, we thank you because of your faithfulness. We thank you because you are wonderful and you have given us Christ Jesus as everything to us. He is the name that we live by. He is the one that lives in us. And we thank you, Father, that we have an identity in Christ. We are loved, we are cared for because of your faithfulness. Lord, we give you glory and honor. Even as we learn your word, I pray that understanding and revelation knowledge will be available in the hearts of your people, that as their hearts are flooded with light, they will see the glorious light of the gospel and they will see Christ exalted forever in their hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Glory. Glory. glory, glory, glory. That's wonderful. We bless the Lord. Are you guys happy to be here today? Wow, that's wonderful. We thank the Lord. For those who are here for the first time, uh, this is called Flick, which is Fulfilling Life in Christ Koinonia. It's an acronym, so we try to be a little bit cool as a church. Flick, yes. Um, and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel of Christ with an emphasis on the finished works. With an emphasis on the finished works of Jesus Christ and the effects that abound in the life of a believer. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. When you ask yourself, Jesus died, what are the effects of his death, his burial and resurrection? Praise the Lord. Or did Jesus die so that you can always be breaking altars for the rest of your life? You're told there's somebody in your village who left a dead bird at your gate. So go and dig the ground and remove it. Then the next time you're told, no, it was not at that gate. It was at the fence. Then the next time you're told, no, there's a dead parrot at the mango tree somewhere. And then you go and dig. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, 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 no. If Christ died, there's a, there a reason why he died. There's a reason why he died. There's a reason why he lives. Praise God. And we are so blessed to be congregating together and teaching the word. And I believe it's making a difference in the lives of God's people. Amen. Now, we have been doing a series. Now we are on there. Is, can we, I don't know, is it the 10th one or the 11th one? Uh, and we'll probably do it up to maybe 20 sermons. A series called From Shadows to Substance. Praise the Lord. That's a series you've been doing from shadows to substance. And for those who have been with us, you, re you recall how we started off with the feasts. We tackled the feasts of the Old Testament, the major Hebrew feasts. Praise the Lord. And when we tackled the major Hebrew feast, we looked at the feast of Passover, which, again, we learned that Christ Jesus is indeed our Passover. Praise the Lord. That's why we don't observe the Passover feast. Kimingi took us through that. It was a wonderful teaching. And then Brother Kimingi also took us through the Feast of Pentecost. Praise the Lord. Which is symbolic of the inheritance that we have received, which is the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. And we understood that indeed on the day of Pentecost, what was really happening is the Spirit of God was ministered to us. I didn't want that laptop to move. It's a very delicate affair. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I hope, okay, great. <laughs> Please, nobody touch that laptop. 
That's, I don't want to go and record this someone again. <laughs> Hallelujah. My wife, leave that laptop alone. All right, praise the Lord. All right, wonderful. So um, we looked at the Feast of Pentecost. We looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we said unleavened bread was bread that was made without yeast, bread that was not fermented. And we explained to you that the Bible now calls us unleavened. Praise the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we are called the unleavened, which means that living was corruption. And now that we are unleavened in Christ, it means we are without sin. That's why we don't observe the feast of unleavened bread. Praise the Lord. Are we together? And then we looked at the feast of fast fruits. And in the feast of fast fruits, we explained the significance of that particular festival. Hallelujah. Because if you look at the timelines of these feasts in a, year, in a calendar year, they actually run through a period of almost 40 weeks, which is equally the gestation period of a woman, which shows that God was in the process of birthing. Hallelujah. There was fruitfulness in all these feasts. They were prophetic in nature. They spoke about Jesus and Christ came and fulfilled these feasts, and some of them will still be fulfilled. Praise the Lord. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Feast of, sorry, the Feast of Fast Fruit, as I said, means that we can keep it pretty low. Okay, good. The Feast of Fast Fruit, as we said, is symbolic because the Feast of Fast Fruit happened after the Passover. So the Passover was symbolic of Christ dying. The Feast of Fastfruit was symbolic of his resurrection. Because when you plant a seed, the first one to come forth, if you are planting, that is called the fast fruit. So when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he was the fast fruit to show that there will be a greater harvest of many who will rise from the dead, which is each and every one of us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He was the first one. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will abide alone. But if it dies, it is able to sprout forth and bring many. Therefore, Christ died and he was the first to resurrect from the dead. That's why he's called the first begotten of God. So he was the first to rise from the dead, which means he was the first fruit. And many of us who have identified with him have also been buried with him. And we have risen in the same the power of God. We have reason in the same life. Praise God. The newness of life. Therefore, we are now a great harvest. And Jesus was the first fruit. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We looked at the Feast of Atonement. We looked at the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles. All these are on the podcast. Hallelujah. For us to learn and to understand the significance of this prophetic feast. Hallelujah. All these feasts pointed to Jesus. And then Brother Kiming also taught on the year of Jubilee. Praise the Lord. And the year of Jubilee was the 50th year after seven Sabbath years. Praise the Lord. Because there was the first Sabbath, which is after seven years. The second one came after 14 years. Praise the Lord. The next one after 21. The other one after 28. You keep counting sevens after you get to 49. Then the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. So that was a perfected Sabbath, seven Sabbaths. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And after those seven Sabbaths, there was the year of Jubilee, 
which is called also the acceptable year of the Lord, which Jesus came and proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord because Jesus himself arguably was crucified on that particular year of Jubilee. Praise the Lord. Now, in the year of Jubilee, God told the people of Israel that on the sixth year, as you're building towards the seventh year, you will plant and I will give you a harvest. And the harvest that I will give you on the sixth year will be enough to sustain you on the seventh year, that on the seventh year you will not need to plant anything. Because what I give you to plant on the sixth year is so abundant that on the seventh year you will partake of what was happening that year. What was the purpose of it? It was to show that God is your sustenance. Your sustenance is not based on the fact that you go and plant on the ground. Your sustenance is based on the fact that God is your supply. And on the year of Jubilee, people were forgiven of their debts. Property was restored to you. If ever you sold land that belonged to your father, on the year of Jubilee, it was restored to you. Praise the Lord. Which means God always ensured that the people were taken care of. I say the year of Jubilee is symbolic of the cry of men. They cry for just governments. But we know that righteousness and justice is the foundation of God's throne. He is the only righteous and just God. And the only righteous and just government that we will see will be that of our, King, of our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. So we touched on the feast and then we moved from the feasts. And then we came and started looking at the Lord's table. Praise the Lord. And the Lord's table is an interesting one because we have touched two sermons. Now this is the third one. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And on the Lord's table, we said that if ever you are caught up in a wilderness somewhere and you don't have bread or ibina and you don't happen to take it, does it mean that you are doomed forever? Praise the Lord. But we tackled the Lord's table and we were able to explain that Christ was using symbols to explain spiritual realities. He was not instituting the Passover because the Passover was not instituted by Christ and neither was Paul instituting the Passover. Hallelujah. They were not instituting any feast. They were using symbols to explain. And we made our arguments. And the arguments we made were, it was in the midst of a dinner. As they were eating, he took bread and break. The way we practice it, we are not eating. Then in the process of eating, we take and we break. Praise the Lord. We usually just come with tudonyele, if you would call them that. We come with very small things. Huh? Secondly, it was unleavened bread that was broken that day. Uh, we, we, we use Britannia. We use all these kind of things. So we, we, we literally don't practice it as he did. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we looked at that particular, and we, we made an, uh, an affirmation to you. The eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood is believing the gospel. And we made the arguments from John chapter 6 in detail. Hallelujah. And we explained to you, you can listen to the sermons. Praise God. And so today we want to look at discerning the Lord's body. One of the questions I asked you is, how many people do you know who have eaten communion unworthily and they have died? I said, lift up your hand. People you know who are sick because they went to church, they ate communion unworthily, and they are now sick, or they are dead, and their eulogy read, he partook of the Lord's table unworthily, and that day he fell sick. After two weeks, he died. Have you ever seen anywhere? But that's what we believe. 
That's why we believe. For the longest time we have believed that and we have treated this matter with such fear. That's why you see people walking in a pious way, going to partake the communion. Have you ever seen those days? I used to see guys, you just walk there. You're almost a bit shaken. It's a holy moment. Praise the Lord. A sanctimonious moment. You're almost shaking a bit. And then you eat it. You drink it. Then you go back and you say, you utter a few words. <laughs> then those guys used to do this thing. It's like a move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do all those things as you partake of it. Praise the Lord. Hoping that, I don't know, something will come out of it. Another thing I say to you, people talk about the mystery of the communion. Have you ever heard men of God, men of God say, today I want to teach you about the mystery of the communion. And then you look at the Bible, you don't see the mystery of communion anywhere. And the fact that something is called a mystery, it means it has not been revealed. It is concealed. So he's the one who's con revealing what the communion means. Yet, the Bible has already told us, the significance of it praise god so it never made sense and that's why it's good for us to look at these things hallelujah now as we look at the uh, series today shadows to substance um i don't know powerpoint just comes with its mood sometimes i, I also sent you a pdf but it's okay we can move to the next verse i don't know why i did this but it's okay um i can just use my phone and explain to you these things is that okay all right as we try and fix that, worry not. In the book of First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 25 to 26, it says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all the nations for the obedience of faith. Now, Paul is saying, as he concludes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, please remember we read the Bible in context. So all the things he has spoken about in the book of Romans, praise the Lord, from the beginning, talking about people being given to their own desires who have hardened their hearts against God, talking about... Um, People who are legalistic and believed in their own works to save them. Talking about all those things that he touched in the book of Romans. Justification by faith. Addressing issues of circumcision. All the things that Paul has touched on. He concludes by saying to him that is of power to establish you according to the, my gospel. So God establishes you according to the gospel. Praise the Lord. Number one, God establishes you according to the gospel. The gospel is what establishes a believer. A believer who has not heard the gospel or a believer who is not being taught of the gospel cannot be established, he cannot be firm, or he cannot be growing or strong in the Lord. So God establishes us according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ. The word and is the word kai, which brings an emphasis all right? So there is no difference between the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul says, to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, which is the preaching of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The gospel is not financial wellness. The gospel is not mental health. The gospel is not applying for tenders. The gospel is not taking over media. The gospel is not all these things we say. According to the scriptures, it is the preaching of Jesus Christ 
according to the revelation of the mystery. So how do we preach Christ? We preach him according to the revelation of the mystery. The word revelation is the word apocalypsis, which means to unveil. Okay? And mystery is the word... What is the word? Mysterion. Alright? Something that is concealed. So you come and you unveil it. So Jesus is preached by unveiling the mystery. Praise the Lord. Jesus is preached by unveiling the mystery. Jesus is not preached by your own creativity. What is preaching Jesus out of your own creativity? Is when you say, Yesu amepiga shetani mateke. Sababu ya mateke nikohuru. That is your own concept of preaching Christ. Are we together? That is your idea. Ama shetani intakustaki kwa baba. Eh? You know those kind of things we say, that is your own idea. But that is not the preaching of Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. That is not the preaching of Christ. That is your own idea. So Jesus is preached according to the revelation of the mystery. What is the mystery? What is the mystery? He says, which was kept secret by the world, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now manifest by the scriptures of the prophets. So the scriptures of the prophets manifested Christ. The scriptures of the prophets contained Christ also in a mystery. And the apostles were now explaining him. Are we together? They were explaining him as the one that was concealed before his appearance. Are we together? So when you preach Christ, or if you look at the apostolic model of preaching Christ, they looked at the writings of the Holy Scriptures, which we predominantly we call it Old Testament. Are we together? They explained Jesus according to the Old Testament prophecies and promises that were spoken about him. Amen. That's how they taught Jesus. And also, they taught Christ by the experience that they had with him and how he had taught them the interpretation of the Old Testament. Are we together? So what did Jesus hand over to his disciples? He handed over to them an explanation of what we call the Old Testament. Jesus handed over to them the explanation of the scriptures as the message that they are to proclaim. Praise the Lord. Is it making sense? That's why when Paul stood before Agrippa and they were accusing Paul of propagating a new doctrine, Paul said, I am preaching no other thing than that which our fathers, the prophets, said would come. That Christ will suffer and he will enter into his glory. In Acts 26, Paul was saying, I am not fabricating any new doctrine. I am only teaching what was spoken of. Hallelujah. Now, that being said, hallelujah, we look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Amen. Which says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for celebrating certain holidays or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So there is no condemnation for what you eat or what you drink. There is no condemnation. The table of the Lord, is it not eating and drinking? Praise the Lord. What we call the Lord's table. Do we eat and drink? So when people interpret it to be a source of condemnation, then they would be contradicting this scripture. 
Because this scripture says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holidays, which I again explained to you were the feasts or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Now we're together. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. The word reality is the word substance. So Christ is that substance. Hallelujah. In another rendering, which is the NLT version, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holiday or of the new moon. When he says new moon, remember the Hebrew calendar is based on the moon, the lunar calendar. Are we together? So that is how they determine their times and seasons. So all the feasts that we taught you, the Hebrew feasts, all of them were based on the moon, the times and the seasons. And therefore, Paul is saying, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holiday of the new moon or the Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is Christ. The body is of Christ. The body is of Christ. And I emphasize to you that symbols can never be the substance and the substance can never be the symbols. Are we together? If you look at the scriptures consistently throughout the Bible, you look at the predominant use of words, you would see emphatically that the body is the body of Christ, which is the church. Are we together? The body is Christ and the body is the church. But the bread can never be the body. The bread is a symbol explaining the body, but the bread can never be the body. Are we together? Similarly, the water can never be the spirit. Are we together? We cannot sprinkle water on you until you receive the Holy Ghost. Are we together? Those were symbols that were used. Are we together? The Holy Spirit is no dove. The Bible talks about the descent. I saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove. It was the descent that was being described. If it was in modern day, you would say, I saw the angel of the Lord move like a Ferrari. Does it mean you will start having t-shirts with a logo of a Ferrari? Or you are church having the logo of a Ferrari or a dove? Praise the Lord. The scriptures were describing the descent. So the dove can never be the spirit. Neither can water or wind be the spirit. Are we together? Praise the Lord. The spirit is a person. Praise God. He speaks. He communicates to us. Hallelujah. He dwelleth in us. Praise the Lord. So similarly, when it comes to the issue of bread, bread can never be the body. The body is of Christ. The body is the church. And that is the consistency of use in the scriptures. Amen. Praise the Lord. Are we together? So what were our final thoughts? We said... The phrase Christ being come implies Christ is the body, the reality of the symbols. Moses gave symbols using bread and wine to teach redemption under the law. Though he preached the message, but he used symbols to convey this. These do not communicate life, but rather they point to the life figuratively. Life and forgiveness of sins are in the body, the message, the person, which is Christ Jesus. 
Hallelujah. It is in Christ Jesus that we see the reality. Amen. And we father told you the consistency of use. I don't want to go back there, but in the consistency of use, in the four feasts that we uh, sorry, in the four accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they spoke about the last supper. The consistency of words used was the word unleavened bread and the word Passover, which means they were observing the Passover that particular night. Praise the Lord. Are we together? They were observing the Passover, which again was, dis was different from the love feasts that believers had. Because I told you about the love feasts, how believers gathered together to break bread. Are we together? It was a culture among us them. I even went further and I explained to you how eating according to the Jewish custom, was very significant. That's why Paul would say, do not even eat with those sinners. You would see that language in the Bible. Blessed, uh, what does Psalm chapter 1 say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, no, in the path of sinners. Then it says, who sits in the table, you understand? So that's a language they used to use. So eating meant a lot. It was significant that's why when jesus was eating with sinners they said he has partaken of their sin because for them eating together was very important are we together so the believers had a culture of dining together they did this daily in houses according to acts chapter 2 they did it together the bible says they break bread daily are we together committed themselves to the doctrine of the apostles and they shared everything they have that which they did was not similar to the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper was the Passover. Passover happened once a year. Are we together? And Passover was celebrated in households. Praise the Lord. Passover was celebrated in households. Are we together? So when we explained that to you, we were trying to bring the understanding that when Paul was trying to address an issue in Corinth, he was not addressing Passover, but he was addressing the feasts of charity that believers used to have, where they used to finish food for each other. Praise the Lord. Surely if you are going to eat until you get full, you are not going to express gluttony by eating bitter herbs. Am I making sense? How can you have gluttony with bitter herbs? An unleavened bread that was not even tasty. Praise the Lord. So he was addressing something different. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so we will look at discerning the Lord's body. Let us turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're there, say amen. Now, uh, if we cannot display it on the screen, just flow with us, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. All right. Hallelujah. Ah. Uh, Wonderful. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this from verse 17 is where we will start. So today we are looking at discerning the Lord's body. And what did Paul really mean, praise the Lord, by discerning the Lord's body? People assume discerning the Lord's body is that little bread that you hold and you discern it. And make sure you discern your life and you make sure that your life is clean. Your life is perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. Because if you eat it unworthily, you will get sick. I told you there are even denominations that don't believe in getting saved. They eat it consistently. I have not seen them dropping dead. Then there has to be something wrong. Either the Bible is lying, praise God, 
or those people have a resistance that they cannot be killed by whatever is supposed to kill them. But then it's good to read the Bible in context. Praise the Lord. We don't read verses separately. We have to read the whole book. Hallelujah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 17. Now, please remember this as we go into this. I read, you know, I keep going back. So if you, if you are with us for the first time, you probably have to listen to this build-up of this series to understand where we are coming from. You remember in chapter 10, Paul was talking about bread. Praise the Lord. Before we get even to chapter 11, Paul was talking about bread. So we will look at chapter 11 and to end to pole pole, as the Lord will enable us. Hallelujah. Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 17. This I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Please remember, before he makes this statement, he was addressing issues of character in that church. He was talking about women, how to cover their heads. So he was addressing issues of Christian worship. And he says, I declare unto you, I praise you, know, that when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Mark that statement for better and not for the worse. Don't think about weddings. Don't think about weddings. Just mark it in your head. Because there's a reason why he's saying for better or for worse. All right? For better, but for the worse. He says, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. All right? When you come together in the church, there are divisions. He says, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Just in this account, there are so many things that communicate to you that this is not the Passover he's talking about. This is not the Passover that he's talking about. Because Passover was a solemn assembly that was eaten once and it was done in your households, with your family. Are we together? But he's talking about people coming together. As a matter of fact, he uses the word um, in verse 18, he uses coming together in the church. Coming together in the church. Now question, the church of the New Testament, were they observing feasts? Were they observing Old Testament feasts? The born again believers? No, because they had been taught about the reality of Christ fulfilling the feasts. Are we together? They were not offering animal sacrifices anymore because Christ had died for them. Are we together? The apostles were not teaching the observance of feasts at all. So Paul is not by any means addressing the Passover in this particular statement. He, in this context, is not addressing the Passover. And please get that in your mind rightly. Which means if he's not addressing the Passover, hallelujah, if he's not addressing the Passover, 
it means that the Lord's Supper here is not the Passover. Because the Passover happened once a year. It was solemn, it happened in homes. There was bitter herbs and all these things that were involved. But he's addressing the gathering together of believers, how they break bread together. Amen. And then they used to do it in households, not in church. So he says, for first of all, um, sorry, verse 20, when you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating everyone taketh before his own supper, one is hungry, another is drunken. What? He says, have ye not houses to eat or to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Then he says, for I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. Pause. Paul is changing thought. But before he's changing thought or he's explaining something, what is he addressing before that verse? What is Paul addressing before he says, for I have received of the Lord? Verse 23. Paul is addressing contention that was in the church. He's addressing contention. Paul says in verse 17, sorry, verse 18, there be divisions among you. So Paul in verse 18 is addressing divisions. So what was the effect of divisions? They finished food for one another. Others were gluttons and they were getting drunk and finishing food for each other. So Paul is addressing character issues and divisions in the body. Are we together? So then he uses an example that Jesus used to explain unity. Because what was Jesus doing when he broke bread? He was explaining unity to the disciples. The oneness of the body when he was explaining to his disciples. Is it true? Because in the same night, another example did Jesus use. Which example was it? Which example was it? Feet washing. Jesus washed their feet. Does it mean that we have to wash each other's feet? Praise God. Does it mean we take it as a practice that we do it consistently, we wash each other's feet? No. Praise God. Are we together? So he used feet washing to teach sanctification and service. To explain it to his disciples. Similarly, he took the bread and the cup to explain to them how they are one cup, how they are one bread, one body that is broken down. Are we together? All right. So Paul says, for I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and he break it and say, take it, this is my body, which is broken down for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup and he had, when he had supped saying, this is my cup in the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. You show the Lord's death until he come. We said, what is the eating and the drinking? What is the eating and the drinking of the Lord's body? What is eating the Lord's body and drinking his blood? What is it? Is it the table that is served in front of you? Or is it believing the gospel? Which one is it? These are not my words. 
John chapter 6 explains, unless anyone eats of his flesh and drinks his blood, he has no life in him. We read it in detail. John chapter 6 explains that. Praise God. If that was the basis of partaking of Christ, then the thief on the cross did not make it. Because when he was on the cross, he believed in Christ. Did he, ever, did he have time to eat communion? Did he have time? So we are moving our attention from elements, which is the problem in the body of Christ today. Our confidence is elements has blown up. Now we have confidence in oil. We have confidence in water. People are now moving it to salt. People are moving it to sugar. People are moving it to, what else are people using in church? in churches these days. We are using handkerchiefs. What else? <laughs> <Hey>, Sydney. <laughs> hey, God bless you. So people have moved. We have gone, and that is the basis in which deception has come in the body. Because we are all about elements and not seeing the substance, which is Jesus. Are we together? Praise the Lord. So, Paul says, Verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let every man examine himself, but let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Hallelujah. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. All right. Praise the Lord. And then Paul says, And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that he come not together unto condemnation. This cannot be the Passover. Are we together? There was no instruction of Passover where you were supposed to eat at home and then go and eat the feast somewhere. Praise God. So that is settled. Hallelujah. Now let's go to a couple of thoughts here. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Alright? Now moving on to the next slide. Discerning the Lord's body. The term, the Lord's body in context in context, was in reference to believers. That's why earlier in verse 17, he spoke about them, believers, coming together where he actually started this discussion from. Are we together? So in context, he's talking about the believers coming together. Are we together? He uses the term coming together. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. when you come together, the believers. 18, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you. I partly believe it. So there was issues of divisions. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, the same book. He says, if therefore the whole church be calm together, calm together into one place, and shall speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that ye are mad? All right. First Corinthians fourteen twenty six says, "How is it, brethren, when ye come together? 
Every one of you have a psalm, have a doctrine, have a tongue, have a revelation, have an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. So he was talking about believers coming together. You have seen that phrase come together four or five times within that particular book I've explained to you. So Paul was addressing the issues of believers coming together to start with. Amen. Hallelujah. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 to 21. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 to 21. Paul explained the bread to be the body. Before he got to chapter, 11, to chapter 11. Now, understand also this. The Bible was never written in chapters and verses. It was a letter. That means it was a consistency of thoughts flowing. Are we together? So whatever he said in chapter 10 is related to whatever is in chapter 11. Are we together? In chapter 10, Paul says, in chapter 10 verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? What did he mean by that statement? Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? He meant the cup of blessing which we bless. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? What was the context? He was talking about feasts. There were feasts of the Gentiles where people were experiencing idolatry. And there were the feasts of believers, praise God, where they used to partake of the cup. And the symbolism of partaking of that cup, Jesus explained it to be his blood that has been shed for many. So it means our participation or our involvement in being washed by his blood is the basis by which we are together as believers, washed together by his blood. Praise God. That is our communion. Praise God. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What is the bread? The body of Jesus that was broken down. That now, by partaking of it, we are all partakers of Christ. We are one body. Therefore, it says, for we being many are one bread and one body. For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are, for we are all partakers of that one bread, which is Christ. Though we are many, we are one bread, we are one body. Hallelujah. We are one body. So he uses bread to explain the body. Are we together? He uses bread to explain the body. So with consistency of thought, when he's talking about the body, who is he talking about? He's talking about the body of Christ that was broken down and us being partakers of it the church are we together so the use of the word body is talking about believers believers the body the body is not the bread the body is the church are we together what we were learning also yesterday from prophet yona we are that body hallelujah praise god hallelujah now pay attention um paul goes into details trying to explain even when you jump into the next chapter paul talks about the body chapter 12 time will not allow me to read for you chapter 12 
where he's addressing spiritual gifts. But let me just mention a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Are we together? 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But now God, but now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 12, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Listen to that. There should be no schism, no divisions in the body, but that the body, that members should have the same care for one another. You might not see those scriptures here. Are we together? 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church. First apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. Praise God. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul refers to believers as the body of Christ. He used physical bread figuratively to explain our union or identification with Christ in the resurrection. In other words, believers ought to see themselves as members of the same body of Christ. You have to see yourself as members of the same body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Therefore, when Paul said not discerning the Lord's body, what he referred to in this context was not Jesus' physical body, rather he used the terms the church and the Lord's body to explain the believer's union or identification with Christ in the resurrection, which is by faith in the gospel and the indwelling of the spirit. I'll repeat that again. Therefore, when Paul said not discerning the Lord's body, what he referred to in this context was not the physical body of Jesus. Rather, he used these terms, the church and the Lord's body, to explain their every, or to explain that that is every believer's union or identification with Christ in the resurrection, which is by faith in the gospel and the indwelling of the spirit. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, Paul, in that particular context, was trying to explain how believers were not caring for one another. In verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, because he is not discerning the Lord's body. So when believers are not discerning the Lord's body, the question would be, based on context, is the Lord's body the piece of bread that a man holds, or is it the church? Praise God. It is the church. So because he was addressing them not caring for one another, they were not discerning one another. Praise God. They did not have a revelation of one another. Hallelujah. It's interesting, we're talking about bread and today atuna mahamri mungo Praise God. It's going to be hard. Praise the Lord. Now, as we move on, please, let's pay attention. Paul said, I praise you not. Because when you come together, it is not for the better or for the worse. That means the coming together of believers was not for the better. It was for the worse. When they came together, there was divisions. There was heresies. There was partiality among them. 
there was gluttony. So the product of their fellowship was not good because it was never for the better. When we gather together like this, it's supposed to be for the better. You're supposed to be encouraged, to be built up, to receive strength, to receive joy, to receive affirmation and love among us, the body. But if you gather here and we seclude you, we treat you unworthily, we disregard you, then your gathering was not for the better. It is better off that you had stayed at home and not congregated with us because you're not finding any value or benefit by coming together. And that was the reason why the Corinthian church gathering together was never for the better. Hallelujah. It was never for the better. When you guys did your podcast and you're talking about comparisons, probably those were the issues that were there. So whenever you met with believers, you felt you're not good enough. Praise God. There was division. Now, how did Paul know these things? For Paul tells them, Paul tells them, I hear that there be divisions among you and I partly believe it. How did Paul hear that there were divisions? Did he hear by sonar sound? The aliens were sending a signal? Or did he hear it from somewhere? Now he takes our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. We will navigate the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, For it has been declared unto me. Listen, he starts from chapter 1. Praise God. He says, It has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. So people from the house of Chloe were good with tea. They told Paul. <laughs> Praise God. That there are contentions among you. So where did Paul hear these things from? The house of Chloe from chapter 1. Is there anyone called Chloe in this church? All right. So they heard it from the house of Chloe that there were divisions among them. Hallelujah. Praise God. Please call your children Chloe. They'll be giving you tea. Yeah? Okay. So he heard that there are contentions among us, the church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise God. Now, again, by the believers of Chloe's household. So through all the letter, Paul spoke about the contentions. So the house of Chloe gave Paul good tea. They came and explained to him what was happening in Corinth. Praise God. Corinthian church. Praise God. And they had several issues, beloved. Several issues. Several. Their issues were not small. Praise God. What were the contentions? Chapter 1. Praise God. They had issues of water baptism. <laughs> Praise God. This was a very difficult church to pastor. Praise God. They had issues of water baptism and ministers. Praise God. Are this the creation of Peter? No. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 13? Oh, let's, let's start it from verse 11. Let me read it for you so you can hear the issues that were in that church. Are we together? Are you ready? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, today I'm, not, today I'm a bit serious. Let me start joking so you guys can feel. Stretch a bit. The word of God requires labor. We have to labor. Now listen to the issues of the Corinthian church from verse 11. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith. So listen to what we're saying. I am of Paul. Another one, I am of Apollos. 
another one I am of Cephas, another one and I am of Christ. Paul said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Paul says, oh, thank you, Yona, you're amazing. Can I, can I have it in King Kingdoms? Thank you, sir. That's good to have prophets who are also tech savvy. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Wewe unakuwa mchungaji alafu kazi yako ingine ni kazi ya kuwa security. All right. All right. Let's just have it in uh, either King James or... All right. So let us look. Because, beloved, the, the problems you have in the body of Christ, we stopped reading the Bible in context. So unasoma tu moja, you take it out and it becomes a practice. Praise God. And that's where we get all these problems. Where you have all these churches that do feet washing. And if you have not been washed by the apostles, beloved, you have no part in us. Hallelujah. Now, it says, we can even just go with NKJV, it's okay. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Listen to what Paul is saying. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. Ha. Okay. Guys, that's what they were saying in that church. Me, I was baptized by Paul. Who are you? My father is Paul. He baptized me. Eh? You, you're just baptized by Apollos, the one who got saved the other day. Paul is the man. He met Jesus on the road to da, uh, uh, Damascus. Hmm? That's the man that baptized me. So they were arguing. Something I said, I was, I was baptized by Peter, the man that walked on water. What are you telling me? Kephas baptized me. He walked on water. He cut the soldiers here when Jesus was about to be arrested. Hey, that is one who baptized me. Then another one say, I was baptized by Apollos. He was mighty in his words. His eloquence. Ah, Paul is a stammerer. You listen to Apollos talk. That's the reason why they were, they were having divisions. Praise God. They were having divisions. I told you, as I explained these things to you, if you want to go and continue eating bread and drinking the cup, please go. Feel free. It is okay. We are not restricting you. But it is good to understand what was really being addressed in the Bible. Because because of that, some people are still exercising Passover to this day. They think Paul was trying to institute Passover. Paul was teaching the unity of believers. That church had problems. So, contention number one. Baptism. Baptism. Let's just remain on the, we'll just remain on the scriptures. Baptism and ministers they had contentions about who baptized them and who's is it not what we see today in the churches huh people worship their man of god more than even god himself say my my pastor is pastor so and so my father hey you say my father is so and so who is your father that's the ridiculous things that we hear people boasting this day you are so in love with your pastor. I mean, I used to tell ladies, if you are a single lady and you want to get married, stop putting the profile picture of a pastor as your WhatsApp profile picture. What is wrong with you? Even if somebody wants to hit on you, he'll see a profile picture of a man there. He'll be like, I have no chance. This must be. Because there are men who don't even know that pastor. So they think it's your boyfriend you have put as a profile picture. Then you wonder, why am I single? Someone in the village has rogad me. Oh, I break it, I break it. Shaka, rabba, da, yana, na. Start praying in tongues. Eh? <laughs> it's the profile picture of the man you have put there. Praise God. So this was the problem in the Corinthian church. They had divisions. Even among who? They, they, they had divisions even to say, Paul is my guy. Apollos is my guy. Is it not what we see presently? 
So there was contention in that church. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> then Paul said, and I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Then he says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made empty and of no effect. Then he goes ahead and explains the preaching of Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, another thing to also remember about Paul's attitude is before he got to verse 11, where he addressed the contentions, he validated them. He told them about beautiful things. They have been called to the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus. He told them that they are coming behind in no gift. He revealed their identity to them before he addressed their issues. See, sometimes our preaching is just talking about people's issues. Where, where? No, no, no. Teach people their identity in Christ. Praise the Lord. So Paul addressed their identity. Are you guys enjoying this? So that was contention number one. Number two, it was again about ministers in chapter three. Let's go to chapter three. Let's look at the scandals that were there. From verse one. Hallelujah. Let's try and move quickly so we don't... Ah, this word is sweet. Hey, let's, let's move quickly. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. So he's using an illustration. And he's saying, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but you are carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So these people who are boasting about their man of God, they're actually babes. <laughs> yeah, you have a poster, a t-shirt with your man of God. You are a babe. Praise God. We should be calling you baby, baby James. Praise God, baby. Huh? Moving on. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for even to this moment, or hitherto, ye were not able to bear it, Neither yet now are ye able. Then he says, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So they were walking as men. Moving on. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Paul is saying, Are you not carnal? Then Paul says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. So Paul is saying, all we are to you is we are the guys who converted you. We converted you to the faith. Paul is saying, I have planted, Apollos watered, but it is God that gives increase. So there are divisions about who they were loyal to. Hallelujah. Praise God. Another division is they were questioning Paul's apostleship. <laughs> Corinthians. Mm -hmm. They were questioning Paul's apostleship in chapter 4 and chapter 9. Praise God. They were questioning whether Paul is a true apostle of God. And you can see it in the language that Paul uses. And he tries to explain their stewardship and their faithfulness in the gospel. He says, let, so, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. Then in verse 6, he says, and these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that he might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, for that 
one of you be puffed up against another. And then Paul was asking them, what is making you have differences and everything of that sort? And he goes into detail, and I will take forever if I, t- I begin to go into the depths of this particular verse. But one thing you would know, Paul did not have any beef with Apollos. As a matter of fact, Paul desired to send Apollos to them at one point. So we can clearly see that those were the issues of division. Chapter 5, they acted like it was not their concern when a brother was living shamefully and openfully in sin. There were moral disorders in that particular church. It says it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles and such fornication as it is is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Paul was saying this thing you guys are doing, even the Gentiles, (laughs) they are saying you guys are dangerous. The man has taken his father's wife. My goodness. And so Paul was reprimanding them about that. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Sexual immorality was an issue. That's where Paul talks about you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. It was immorality that was ravaging that church. Praise God. Chapter 6, they were taking each other to court. (laughs) Praise God. That church, people were taking each other to court. They were not even solving issues among us themselves. They were taking each other to court. It must have been a very interesting church. One day you wake up and say, Are you, I'll sue you. I'll sue you, my brother. I'll sue you. <laughs> huh? And Paul was addressing those issues among us them. Praise God. Then chapter 8 and 10. Idolatry. Food offered to idols was another issue where they were, they were having issues. They were having issues about food offered to idols. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Chapter 11. Customs were the issues. They had customary issues. Whether women should cover their head. There was contention over the custom that shows submission of the woman in marriage by covering her head. Again, over food distributed or eaten in the church when they came together. They had issues about distribution of food, issues about customs of women, whether they should be covered. Then, the mother of it all, chapter 15, they had issues about the resurrection. There are guys who came with a doctrine and they said, listen, the resurrection happened. The guys who were supposed to go with Jesus, they have gone. So if you have been left behind, my guy, it is over. So all you can do, brother, party. Have the time, you have been left behind, there's no more hope for you. So they're saying, let us eat, drink for tomorrow, we die. That's what they were saying. Guys, now pick a sheree without limitations because now there's no hope. So the best you can do is live wildly before you die because there's no more hope. So what is left? You cannot be saved. So you might as well have all the sex you ever want to have. Drink all, I mean, just do anything you want to do. That was the Corinthian church. Praise the Lord. So evidently, Paul started addressing their divisions from chapter 1. Are we together? He started addressing their divisions from chapter 1. And he spoke about the different issues that were in that church. Then Paul gives them a, a glimpse of what should be the right thing. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So Paul was telling them that they should speak the same things, they should be perfectly joined together in the same mind and have the same sense of judgment. In other words, that is how the gathering of believers should be. The local church should be characterized by these traits, that we are to speak the same things, we should be perfectly joined together in the same mind and have the same sense of judgment. And the absence of this will definitely result into divisions, contentions, and strife. And that word division is the same word schisms or schisma in the Greek. And it's used severally in the Bible to show the consequences of division. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? So we can clearly see the issues that were troubling. Another one I did not mention to you, spiritual gifts. They had issues with spiritual gifts. There they were trying to see who is the commander when it comes to prophesying. They would not allow each other to prophesy in turns. They were prophesying over each other. There was a lot of confusion in their midst. Praise the Lord. So they were, they were always debating and competing with each other. What that kind of church, that kind of church if you were the pastor, what do you think would happen to you if you did not have the spirit of God? Eh? You would be venting on Facebook. You know those pastors who write angry things on Facebook? Huh? Say, shepherds don't eat grass. They eat sheep. They eat meat. Hmm? You're writing those kind of things. Or you're angry. Say, beware of black sheep. Because it's church. People have issues. People have issues. You would be so discouraged. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So that was the Corinthian church. And beloved, there are so many issues. But now there's something just particularly I wanted to mention. When Paul said that when they're gathering together, it was not for their benefit. Because it is in the same book that Paul speaks about the edification of believers the most. He speaks about edification, that all things should be done for edification. He talks about the gifts, how they should be done for edification of the body. Praise the Lord. He talks about all these things, about edifying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, it says, He that speaketh in an own tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all speak with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, Paul says, Even so, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Edifying of the church. So Paul wanted the believers to be edified together. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, let all things be done unto edifying. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. If you have come together, one of you has a psalm, another one has a doctrine, another one has a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. Because that church, people were not edifying each other. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. So I will skip many thoughts that I wanted to share with you so we can conclude. But, eh? You know, yeah, for next Sunday I can continue. But I just want to share something. Praise the Lord. 
if we go to, let me just share a couple of thoughts here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Are you blessed? <laughs> As we are done. So in verse 27, when Paul says, Wherefore, whosoever, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood. Now, that word unworthily was translated from the Greek word anaxios, which implies improperly something that is not correct. That if you bring food and drinks to the assembly of the saints, as their custom was, and you act selfishly by not sharing with those who did not have, you have acted unworthily. You have acted unworthily or improperly. That if you bring food and drinks to the assembly of the saints as their custom was, and you act selfishly by not sharing with those who did not have, you have acted unworthily or improperly. Praise the Lord. So the unworthy act here was selfishness. Praise the Lord. The unworthy act was selfishness. Praise the Lord. Are you the righteousness of God? Are you sanctified? Are you justified? Are you washed in his blood? So what then is it that disqualifies you from eating a piece of bread? That you have to begin to examine yourself as if by your examination you shall cleanse yourself. <laughs> and it is Christ that cleansed you. You say, I'm walking in power, I'm walking in miracles, I live a life of favor, I know who I am. No, 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 no. You sing about your identity. But then when it comes to eating bread, you have no confidence. A bread that was packed by a guy called Chikwembe, Ama Wafula, in an area. You think that can now destroy the relationship you have with Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Again, if you disagree with me, show me somebody who died because he had communion unworthily. Show me. If you know in your village you have ever attended a funeral where somebody died because they ate communion unworthily. Do you know anyone? Kwaiology waliandika alikula vibaya kapata covid. All right. Now Praise the Lord. We are about to finish. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. You see, Paul was teaching them about love. Now, the word guilty implies to be liable. That is, we have a responsibility as believers to demonstrate love in our conduct towards other believers, members of the body of Christ. In other words, in the local church or assembly of believers, we owe ourselves care love generosity affection paul explained the same truth in romans chapter 13 verse 8 he said oh no man anything but love but to love one another for he that loveth hath fulfilled the law we don't even need to go there so what paul taught by using the passover and the unleavened bread ceremonies which was practiced by the jews is walking in love towards one another that is we are to learn from the sacrifice of christ which was a display of his love for us and practiced the same in treating fellow believers with love and care. This was explained further in verse 29 as not discerning the Lord's body. Praise the Lord. In verse 29, 
Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11:28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So the word examine was from the Greek word dokimatsu, dokimatsu, which implies test, check. That is, he instructed them to check themselves in how they were treating one another when they came together. Check yourself how you treat fellow believers when you come together. That's what he was telling them. He was saying, let every man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, which was the love feast. Examine yourself. How are you treating people? So that when you are eating it, you're eating it and partaking it with generosity and not with selfishness or as a glutton. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The word discerning was translated from the Greek word diakrino which implies to distinguish or to take cognizance of or to recognize, to treat specially or treat differently. So Paul instructed them to treat fellow believers who are members of the Lord's body specially different with love and care. To discern means to take cognizance of, to recognize and to treat specially. The believer therefore must recognize that the church of Christ is one body, which is superior to our earthy relationships. Hence, the moment one believer refuses to share, in this instance, food and drink with another believer, he has refused to take into cognizance that spiritual relationship that we believers share with one another as the body of Christ. In other words, the essence of his explanation is the fact that is when believers gather our educational background our financial and social status wealth is of no consequence what is required for us is to treat ourselves as members of the same body that is to love and to care for one another that was why he taught them repeatedly that we believers are one in christ we are one in Christ. Praise God. Now, Paul mentioned these things, then in verse 30, Paul said this. Remember in 1 Corinthians 12, 23, it talks about members that are honorable and those who are not honorable in the body, which is trying to show the importance of everything. The less honorable members, like your armpits, are very important. Praise the Lord. Very important. They are not show, showcased to everyone, but you need them. And you know other members that you don't show the public. We are very important. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 12, 23. Now, verse 30. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The term for this cause, in context, was in reference to not caring or acting selfishly to fellow believers. This is Paul. He explained that their act of selfishness, which was despising the church of God, not discerning the Lord's body, is the reason why some believers are weak and some were sick and some eventually die. This explains why he instructed in verse 33, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we shall not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry for one another. Having explained how believers ought to treat one another with regard and honor and love and care, Paul then instructed them 
to wait for one another when they come together. From the above explanation, Paul was saying, the reason why some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are dying is because you are not caring for one another as the body of Christ. That was the reason they were never caring for one another. They were taking each other to court. They were had wrangles about who is their spiritual father, papa. Who's your daddy? Eh? My daddy is... Those were the divisions. They had divisions about sexual immorality. They were divided about the resurrection and false doctrine. Hallelujah. There were heresies amongst them. Now let me ask you. Practically. Let's be practical. Are we together? Are you together? I want us to be practical and pay attention. Do you know people who have died because of eating communion unworthily? How many of you know people in the church who have died because of eating bread unworthily and drinking the cup unworthily? Do you know? Good. Thank you. All right? Now let's move. Do you know people who have died in the church because of heresies and false doctrine? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know people who have died in church because of wrangles and fightings? Do you know? Do you know people who have died in church because of sexual immorality? Do you know? So, if you were to ask yourself, what was killing the believers in the Corinthian church? Was it the bread they were eating? Or was it heresies that were amongst them? Taking each other to court? In fightings? Wrong teaching? And all those things. Practically speaking, in our present day, what is killing people in the church? Shakahola. What killed them? Was it not heresies? And wrong teaching? Let's be practical. Was it not wrong teaching? Have you had people who have died in church because their pastor told them never go to hospital? Have you had that? People who have died, they are sick and their pastor tells them, no, we, you stay in this temple, don't go anywhere. And people die because of that. They were finishing food for each other. And Paul said some of them were hungry. Do you know people who have died because of hunger? Eh? Did people die not because of hunger? So even if you were to try and just use your brain, because sometimes when we come to church, it's like we, do, we don't want to reason. What is killing people even in the church today? The examples I have laid out for you in the Corinthian church or communion? Which one is killing people? Is it not these wrong things that are in the church? Question. The Corinthian church, did they have those issues? And Paul said, for this reason, some of you are dying. Because you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not discerning one another. You're not taking care of each other. You're neglecting each other. You're tolerating heresies. You are taking each other to court. There is sexual immorality among you. You have factions and divisions. Do you know? Let me explain this. I can have your mic here. 
Do you know, let me explain this. There are believers, see your, your witnesses of this. Small divisions, you don't invite somebody for your wedding. Look, practically, you, just because of something small, that believer is unworthy to even attend your wedding. Unworthy to attend even your party. We start ostracizing people that way. When I push you away and I tell you you're not worthy, I don't want you in my company, what happens? Somebody becomes isolated. When they become isolated, Satan now works on them properly. He works on them. They're in depression. Satan is working on them. They are sick. Satan is working on them. Their mental health is not okay. Satan is punishing and, and, and oppressing them. Before you know it, you hear that believer got sick and he died. Before you know it, that believer got sick and he died. Nobody has ever died because of eating communion. I tell you for a fact. Let's read the Bible in context. It doesn't matter if your bishops have preached these things for five years or 25 years. Let us look at it practically. What was killing believers? When believers are divided, when there is infighting in church. How many of you have been in a church that is toxic and infighting? How many of you have ever been in a church where there is division? Bad division. How many of you have ever been in such a place? How was your mental health when you were in that church? How was your self-esteem? How were you? How were you feeling? You could probably even get sick because of just the pressure that comes by being in those environments. Another thing that happens to you in such an environment, fear. When there is fear, now people don't even know that Christ is for them. They're always living in fear. That's the church where you see people are always dreaming dreams of people chasing them. And they're always giving sacrifices to be set free. And their mental health becomes so bad that they start falling sick. I'm telling you these things practically. There are people, sometimes you go and pray for them, to minister to them. When you just tell them, forgive, forgive, let go of that bitterness, they get healed. Yesterday, there's somebody who came for prayer in the meeting. And as I was praying for that woman, I just told that woman, you need to forgive the people that you are holding in your heart. And the moment she began to cry and she let out that pain, all of a sudden she started looking okay. Because that is the way people were getting sick in Corinth. Believers, if you are in a church where people are divided, people hate each other, people will get sick. I am not lying to you. People will get sick. You will start seeing sickness operating in that church. You start hearing of deaths. People are dying. Praise the Lord. In the Corinthian church, there was divisions. Sexual immorality broke families. Are we together? There was a family that was broken because a man took his father's wife. In similar churches where the doctrine is not taught right, even families don't function. They don't esteem families. The unity of families is not esteemed. Let me tell you, these prophetic churches you go to, where people are focused on the man of God as the Corinthian church were focusing on worshipping a man, they will make a woman sit in church and not attend to her children because she's serving the man of God. She will not even attend to her husband. Kids stay in church from morning till the next, till usiku. They're not taking care of each other. Then marriages go and they begin to break. The man says, what kind of church is that you're attending? I will not be with this woman. They separate. Divorce comes, it begins to hurt the children. Satan now begins to find room to plunder. He plunders. So Paul was saying, these guys are dying. 
they are falling sick. Why? Because the divisions that were there, Satan had found room to enter. People are spreading heresies. Before you know it, people have spoken so many bad things about you. You are so hurt by the church. Your mental health is not okay. How many people, some people come to us. You look at them, even their mental health is not okay. They are paranoid. Because of church, they, somebody came to see me and was telling me, you know, even those pastors of that church, they're doing astral projection. They're showing up at my door. I told her, hey, is your life that important or that we're just chasing after you? Wrong doctrine. You know that person. Is that person's mental health okay? That person has been acting like they're mad because of wrong teaching. They are falling sick, guys. People are getting sick because of wrong teaching. People are getting sick because of these wrong things, like the Corinthian church. Paul was telling them, you guys, if you don't discern the Lord's body, if you don't treat other believers as important, if we have divisions and classes here, you say yours is a Japanese machine, mine is a German machine. What are you telling me? Eh? This nonsense, we have people glorifying material things in church. People begin to fall sick. But when people love and care for you, hallelujah, when you are loved and cared for, believers strive, believers are strong, believers don't crumble, hallelujah. Sickness comes because of disease. When you are uncomfortable, when you don't have mental health, when you, when you don't have peace in your mind, what follows after is physical sickness. I'm not lying to you. It happens. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. It happens. But when believers love one another, you are kept. Praise the Lord. Like last year, when we were going through whatever we went through and we lost our daughter. If it wasn't for the love of the brethren that were with us, if we were left to ourselves with no encouragement, Maybe we would have crumbled. Okay. Lakini we are a bit strong. Eh? Maybe we would have crumbled. By the grace of God, we will stand. But you see, it is the comfort of the believers. Because I remember when my daughter was born, then one of the cardiologists who came to see my daughter came and told me, you know, your daughter will never be normal. Take it as a man. I broke in tears. I remember when Dorothy was holding me and I was crying. The love of believers is what sustains us. The Corinthian church did not have that, beloved. They did not have love. So people were falling sick, people were getting stressed in their own problems. And if we let you stay in your own stresses and nobody's caring or checking up on you, you carry the weight so much it affects your marriage, you're separated, before you know it, you've fallen sick. Is this scripture making sense to you? The bread has never made anyone sick. It is the lack of love and the caring for one another that has made people sick in the church. Hallelujah. But when we love one another, brothers and sisters, like the New Testament church did, the Bible says that they gave, that everyone amongst them had, there was no one with any need. They gave, they sold land, they sacrificed everything they had to give. Beloved, we see the love of God in operation and we see miracles, healings, and great testimonies happening in the body in the name of Jesus. Now rise on your feet. Father, we thank you. Just give him thanks. Give him praise. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you. We bless you, Jesus.
Just open your mouth and bless the Lord. Thank him for his love. His love. His body has been broken down for us. That is the precious love.